thank you, Auntie Hannah. <laughs> if any of you don't know, she is my sort of auntie by marriage type thing. Anyway, I'm sure that wasn't linked to why she said what she said. But uh, um, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you uh, turn to James? It's in the New Testament. Um, it uh, comes after the book of Hebrews, so it's right towards the end of the Bible. Um, if, you get to the con- if you get to sort of uh, the, the uh, maps at the back, you've gone too far. Um, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far as well. Brilliant. I do, as uh, Hannah said, just want to say thank you so much if you have uh, been already involved in, in the Food Bank 5 campaign. Um, it's, it's, it's been a tremendous um, uh, response from you. Your, your generosity is incredible. Um, we, we just feel that we'd love to finish with a bit of a crescendo um, rather than a whimper. And so that's why we thought, well, why don't we just finish by having a, a gift day um, at the end? We don't still quite know the format it will take, but basically if you want to bring in a whole load of food, Please don't steal shopping trolleys from Tesco's, we'll get in trouble. But, but if you want to carry in bags of food, that is fine. If you want to bring some money um, and give it that way, that is absolutely fine. If, if you want to pledge next week and say, actually, um, in the future I'm going to give uh, some money or I'm going to bring in so much food over, over the next few months, you can do that as well. If you just want to start giving regularly to Food Bank and think, actually, you know what? Um, I can give a tenner a month to Food Bank and uh, I, I would like to do that. That will be an opportunity as well. So we would ask just for you to consider um, doing that and how you can stand with our tremendous Food Bank team um, in everything that they are doing as they really do meet, um, look to meet the needs of some of the most needy in our community and provide for them in very, very real um, ways. This morning, as I said, I have the privilege of starting the preach series um, on James, religion that God accepts. Andrew will be following on from me next week and he will unpack a little bit more what that um, phrase means. But this is an extremely punchy letter. So I hope you're, you're ready for that over the next eight or nine weeks um, because James' style, if you've read it and uh, if you're aware of it, you, you, will, you will know that he doesn't hold back. There are five chapters, 108 verses, and 50 imperatives. I had to look up to find out what that meant. That basically means 50 commands. So he has 50 commands in 108 verses. So basically, be ready for it. Every other verse, we're going to be told something to do. Okay, so his, his style is, is, it definitely grabs the attention. Um, I think in some ways there are similarities to Sermon on the Mount. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 5 and you read that, I think it's very similar to how Jesus taught there as well. And it says in James 1 verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. This was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, He appears in Acts chapter 15 where he is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the first leader of the church in Jerusalem, and Matthew 13 um, verse 55 where we hear about him and his family situation a little bit. It was written in AD 45, so it was probably written within 10 years of the death of Jesus. So it's one of the earliest books in the New Testament. And it's a very practical letter. It's one about Christian maturity. 
It's not about how do you grow old as a Christian, because all you need for that is time. It's about how you grow mature as a Christian, which is a different thing entirely. My ambition for my children is not that they get old, they will do that quite easily on their own. My ambition is that they get mature, that they are well equipped for life. And our Father in heaven has exactly the same ambition for us. Not that we just grow old and cranky. Don't judge the people laughing the loudest, okay? But that we grow mature, that we we become like Jesus, that we look like him. And that's James' intention as he writes to Jewish believers who are spread right across um, the Greek world uh, at this time. If you've read it already, you may feel it's a bit of a disjointed book. He seems to jump around a little bit. Phil Moore reckons that it is um, the highlight of James's preaches to the early church in Jerusalem. And it, and it may be. Um, but I think it's quite like the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes where there is just wisdom in there. There's wisdom for us to pick out. There's wisdom for us um, to understand. This, I believe, will be both a provoking and stimulating series. And I want to encourage you, come week by week with open hearts, uh, ready to see what God wants to speak to you about. And the reality is that this first preach is no different. Um, it's, it's, James could definitely have started easier, but he doesn't. He, he dives straight in there. I'm going to read a few words to you, and then I want you to put, finish the sentence how you want. Is that all right? So in your own mind, I'm not going to ask you to shout it out. I'm just going to, I'm going to read something, and then I want you to finish it off. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when... So what would you put in there? What is it that you would count all joy? What is it that causes joy to spring up in you? Is it um, financial provision? Is it good health? Is it a new car? Is it when everything goes like we would like it to be? Is that, do you think that's the answer James gives in verse 2? When he launches in, which if we take time to think about it, is one of the most challenging and provoking things he could start a letter off. He's, he's not trying to win friends here. But he dives straight in there. Why don't we read it and then we're going to pray. Count it all joy, my brothers. And by the way, women, ladies, in this auditorium, this isn't just for the men, okay? Although he says brothers, it is brothers and sisters here. So count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Hooray. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That sounds good, doesn't it? You know, perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord for he is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the grass and the flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits, to, of, his, first fruits of his creatures. Lord, I ask you, please, would you help me to communicate well? Help me to take these words of James and uh, uh, bring them in in a stimulating and provoking way. I ask you, Lord God, would your word have full effect in our lives? Lord, even when we're already stirred, maybe, by what he said in those opening verses, give us your grace, give us your peace, I pray. Lord, be with us in it, I ask. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. What James is doing in these 18 verses is he is saying that although trials can be difficult and although trials can cause us pain, they can also be used to see us come into maturity. That God can take the most difficult situations in our lives and turn them for good and for his glory. You find that right the way through the Bible. If you go back into the book of Genesis, you find the story of Joseph. And in there you find a man that he's a good young man, but his brothers turn about against him. They sell him into slavery. He gets bought by someone and he does well in his job as a slave. But even then his master's wife accuses him of uh, impurity and, and, and uh, uh, trying to have sex with her, and none of it is true at all. So he gets thrown into prison. Even there, he does well, and again, to a degree, God blesses him, but it appears that God has forgotten him, and even in the midst of those troubles, it just seems like he's going to be left to languish in prison, in jail, absolutely forgotten. And at the end of his life, After his father has died and his brothers are standing in front of him, um, it says something to the tune of this. He says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. 
And one of the hallmarks of the Christian is how we handle suffering. What do we do with suffering and difficulty when it comes to call in our lives? Because the reality of it is, it always does. Some of you I know are facing difficulties that are bigger than anything I have faced. And you may say, Paul, what is your confidence for saying what you're saying? If I'm honest, my only confidence is the word of God. And I say it with a bit of trepidation because I know the circumstances you're facing are so difficult. But for others of you, you're not facing difficulties that big. You're just facing the normal cut and thrust of life and it's hard. You haven't got enough money to see you through to the end of the week. The car broke down three days ago. Things that you hoped for have not come to fruition. You're getting old and your body just isn't working as it used to work. These are all the trials of life that we face. How do we handle them? Is there anything different between me as a Christian and someone who does not have this tremendous, glorious hope in God that we've just been singing about? How does it get earthed in my life as a Christian? So I'm going to rattle through five helpful things that James earmarks here in these 18 verses. Trials count it all joy. Trials ask for wisdom. Trials are helpful example. Trials don't be tempted. And trials, God is still good. And the goal of what James is saying is our maturity and God's glory. So these first couple of verses, verses 2 through to 4, trials count it all joy. And as I've said, James makes this incredible, outrageous statement, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I, I don't know what your reaction is to a trial, but mine is often not counting it all joy. In preparation for this, I've thought of the last eight days and I've had various trials. Probably two or three things that if I wanted to, I'm not going to, I could list to you, I did not count it as joy. To be honest, I didn't really even see God in it and the way I reacted didn't bring glory to God. Just being honest. I was grumpy, angry, impatient, thought bad of other people. Just a number of the ways I've reacted in the last week to the trials that I've faced. But James just sets the bar at a completely different level. And there's a little phrase in here that's so important for us to hear. Count it all joy, my brothers. You see, this is not a self-help word. This is a word to those who have been born again by the living and enduring word of God. This is a word for those who could sing the words we were just singing with full and open hearts, with confidence, knowing that we are the beloved of God. Knowing that once we were dead, but now we have been brought to life in him. Knowing that whatever the world throws us, it cannot rob us of our salvation and our eternal security that we have in Jesus Christ. Once I was dead but now I am alive and because of that when I face trials I deal with them in a different way with an eternal perspective that little phrase my brothers is absolutely essential because if you are here today and you are not a Christian please don't try and apply any of this it has no relevance to you at all I don't mean to be rude it doesn't this is only possible for those who have got an eternal hope in Jesus Christ 
The starting point for you is not to try harder, but come to a saviour knowing you cannot save yourself and oh, how you need his grace to invade your life. That is the starting point for you. But for us, that moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, things changed. You may not feel like it, but they did in the heavenlies. You were united with him and the very life of God is within you. Once you were a condemned sinner, now you are a saint, a holy one, set apart for his purposes. And this does, I tell you, this changes everything. Our problem is that often when we go through the cut and thrust of life, we do not apply the truth of the Bible to the everyday situations that we face. And that's why James is confronting us with it now. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet um, trials of various kinds. And this joy that he's talking about is not an emotion. It's not trying to stir up some good feelings. It's a decision to rejoice. It's a decision to know that even in the worst of things that God is working them for his glory and my good. Is it easy? No. It's really hard. Even in the little things, as I've confessed, I don't always do that well. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Why? Why do I count it? Well, he gives the answer. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God uses trials to grow our faith. Paul, could you just stand up? Paul is a top class athlete. Why don't you turn around? Just so everyone can look at you. He is. He cycles. He swims. He runs. There is no... There is no lack in his athletic ability but the way he gets fitter and stronger is by training and testing it's at the point when his muscles feel like they have got nothing left to give that he goes again that he keeps pushing through and as he does that what happens he gets stronger he gets fitter he's able to you could sit down he's able to swim faster run faster, cycle with more energy. What God is saying for us Christians, brothers and sisters, is when trials come, this is an opportunity for faith. It's a testing of our faith. When a trial comes, what's happening is I'm being tested. Is God good? Is God true? Is God reliable? Can I stand on the promises? Can I trust him for my family? My faith is being tested. But as I battle through, and it is a battle, sometimes Paul does not have the energy to cycle up Elphinstone Road. Sometimes when he stops and he tries to start cycling again, he puts his feet in the clips, but they don't fall, and he he falls over on his bike, and he falls flat on his side. He's done that three times in a row, he's told us. Can you imagine how embarrassing that is? Cycling up Elphinstone Road, you get halfway up and you get a bit tired. I wouldn't have got tired, but he got tired. He gets there, he tries to start again, but he doesn't have the energy to start, so he puts his foot in his clips. And he just collapses to the side. But he doesn't just do it once, he does it three times in a row. Persistence, endurance, he keeps going. I mean, it doesn't always go as we want, but faith is tested. What happens? What does faith lead to? Steadfastness. Steadfastness. Faithful endurance. It doesn't sound very sexy, does it? It doesn't sound like the sort of stuff we really want to happen. 
but, but it's faithful endurance. And what does it lead to? It leads to that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. What James is saying is trials rush in. We grapple in faith with the promises of God. As we do that, that leads to a steadfastness, a faithful endurance. That leads to Christian maturity. But in there, you'll notice there's a whole load of decisions that we make. I I don't really want to say it because I don't want it to be true for my life, but I think it is. Trials are essential if maturity is to be achieved. Trials are essential if maturity is to be achieved. He then goes on, James, to this second little section of scripture, verses 5 to 8. Asking for wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. It looks a bit like a step change. It looks like he's changed his tact. I don't think he has. You see, he said, I think what he's saying is this. One of, the th- one of the things about wisdom is wisdom is seeing things as God sees them. Wisdom is seeing things as God sees them. There's some other stuff in wisdom too, but one of it is seeing God as seeing things as God sees them. Do you agree with James's perspective about trials that I've just outlined to you now? Does your thinking line up with what the Bible says, or are you battling in your mind? Now I totally get it if you are. But he says if you are struggling. To see the wisdom of God in your trials and difficulties. He says, you know what? Come and ask God. Because we have a gift-giving Father who loves to bless us. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom in this area, if any of you is struggling to come to this conclusion that he says in James, ask God. Because he loves to give good gifts to his children. But he says, and he says it with a warning. I mean, verse 5 is really generous. It's a reflection of who God is. But verses 6 and 7, they come with a bit of a warning. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. When it talks about this doubting, I don't think it's an intellectual thing. I think it's a moral thing. He talks about a double-mindedness. A facing in two directions. Yes, Lord God, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you rose from the dead. But then over here in the same way, living in a way that you know is completely contrary to what God says is right and how you should be living. You're caught in two minds. You are double-minded. And I think that's what James is talking about. And he says, if, if, if you gather with us and you gather with the saints and you're glorifying and worshipping him, and yet you know at the same time there is moral comp- compromise in your life. He says, that's a dangerous place to be. He actually says, or he brings cast doubt on whether your prayers will be heard. And he says, you will be unstable in all your ways. Now, we all sin. We, we, we all fail. Like I say, if I chose to, I could name a number of instances in the last eight or nine days where I have messed it up. But there's a difference between that and living in, 
wanton rebellion of knowing there's an area of your life that you are not willing to, do, willing to deal with and you're just going to walk that way. God, in this little box over here, but over here, I'm not going to give God um, what he deserves in my life. If, if that is you, James says very provocatively, there's a danger your prayers will not be heard and you will be unstable in your ways. You'll struggle to make right decisions. You'll struggle to stand strong if there is ongoing compromise. Then he goes on from verses 9 to 11, and he just gives a really helpful example. He talks about those who are in poverty and those who have got wealth. And again, I mean, his, his, his words to, to those in poverty are, are quite provoking. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. If your trial is that you are struggling financially... James says, do you know what James' instruction is? He says, give glory to God. Boast. Rejoice is another way you can say it. In your exaltation, rejoice in the fact that Jesus loves you. Rejoice in the richness of who you now are in Christ, that you are seated in heavenly places in him, that you has made, he has made you a priest of the Most High. Rejoice in your exaltation in every spiritual blessing that God has given you. Now, as a church, we have a right responsibility to help provide for the needs um, of, of those who, who need help. But actually, in many situations, financial provision is not the answer to spiritual maturity. It's bringing glory to God in the midst of pain and difficulty. But then he brings a warning to the rich. And to be honest, if you are sat here today and you've got disposable income, any, you're in the rich category, okay? So if at the end of the month you've got something, even a little bit left to spend on what you choose to spend it on, you're in the rich category here today. And it seems to me that James is saying that riches, earthly riches, are a bigger hindrance to growing in maturity as a Christian than poverty is. I want to say that in the right way. Because we can put our trust in our possessions. We can put our trust... What does he use? A very provocative word. He says, so, so the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The poor man just wants to survive. The rich man has pursuits. He has things that he is focusing on. And he instructs those who are rich with finance. He says, just remember the flowers of the field. They look beautiful. But when the sun rises, they get scorched and they pass away and no one remembers them. And it's really easy if you're rich or if you're financially secure that we place our confidence in our riches or our finance. We spend an awful lot of time and effort preparing for our pension rather than spending time preparing for eternity. We make sure that we've well invested so I can live well when I retire, yet when it gets to glory, have I invested as well and as effectively into that as well with the possessions that God has given to me. For the rich man, he is to boast in his 
humiliation. Jesus saved us not because we were rich, but because we were spiritually poor. We are recipients of mercy and grace. And then in verse, then, then fourthly, verses 12 to 15, he says, In your trials, don't be tempted to say that God is bad. Don't be tempted to say that God sent this and blame God for the problems and the struggles that you are facing. Don't be tempted. You know what? I find that, well, I can't speak about when I preach because I'm never down in the congregation when I preach, but I think that trials have a much better way of revealing what's on the inside than preachers do. I can preach my little heart out and we'll be none the wiser of what's really going on on the inside. Your car won't start after church this morning. I wonder if we get a better idea of what's going on in the inside. It's, it's not that the trials put that stuff there. The trials have just revealed what was already in your heart, just hidden away in the depths of your heart. When you don't get a good night's sleep because of the kids. When your legs don't work like they used to. If you're looking at Paul and you're just jealous because you're not the peak physical fitness that he is. <laughs> Iris, you could beat him in a race. <laughs> it reveals what's really going on in our hearts. Last weekend, when anger rose up inside me and frustration and irritability and... Um, all a load of other stuff. Yet, it rose because of the circumstances, but it was there, just lingering, hidden. God didn't put it there. It's there. Our part is to crucify the flesh, put it to death, the misdeeds of the body, allow the Holy Spirit to come and take control. I said James was punchy, didn't I? He doesn't hold back. Trials reveal what's really going on inside. Anger, fear, hatred, worry, jealousy. And the problem is, when a trial comes along, it feels sort of right to be angry or irritable. You know, there's just a bit of righteous indignation. The problem is, James says it's a bit like a hook. When that fish is eating the bait in the sea, it tastes good to start with the best thing he's tasted in ages. But when he tries to wriggle away, it feels as a hook. Is caught. It's not easy to get off. And that's like temptation too. Tastes really good to start with, but then it gets you. And when it's got you, it's not easy to wriggle away. If we respond to trials well, faith grows and it leads to life. If we follow the desires of temptation when trials come, it leads to death. And number five, verses 16 to 18. You know, in the midst of our difficulties, can I say this? I want to say this humbly, not in a pushy way. You know, God is good. God is still good. He is good all of the time. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is good.
good. And then James in verse 18 gives the ultimate demonstration of God's goodness. He says this, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If you want to see the goodness of God, can I ask you, look to the cross. Your old life, you were dead to sin. This new life, because you've been united with Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin's power over you. That's the truth. In your old life, you were a slave to sin at its beck and call. Now you're a son or daughter of the living God. That's who you are. It's your identity. In your old life, you were facing eternal judgment. In your new life, you can look back knowing that that judgment you deserved was paid for by Jesus on the cross. You are forgiven. You are free. It is wonderful. I do not fear the wrath of God. I do not fear the judgment of God. I do not fear what the future holds. I am safe in Jesus' hands. I am safe. I was a condemned sinner, but now I'm declared not guilty and loved by God for eternity. Once I was always trying, but always rejected. Now I don't need to try, and I'm accepted always. Always. Once I had an uncertain future without hope, now I'm securing God's purposes for me. Once I was powerless to please God, now I know I please God. He looks at me and he smiles. And he's provided me everything I need to live a life, to live life for him, honouring his name. Our wonderful salvation has had such a radical effect that even trials are fundamentally different for me. That is the truth contained within the gospel. Paul says the same in Romans 5. This isn't just James having one. Paul says the same in Romans 5. Rejoicing in suffering. One Peter, in Peter, Peter says in one Peter, exactly the same thing. So the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle James. Key messages within their theology about how we face trials and suffering. Jesus has brought about a better way of living. It's not that there isn't pain. It's not that we have some unrealistic perspective and we all walk around with coat hangers in our mouths pretending that we're really happy. But what underpins it is a hope in God that he will not let us go. And even the very trials that are so difficult are a cause and a means for me growing more and more like Jesus Christ. I get to look more like him, which is, in the end... God's goal for your life. And as Joseph found, even when the worst gets thrown at us, we can say, you meant it for evil, but God, he meant it for good. Why don't we stand?
Can I ask um, Ali, just maybe yourself, could you come up? Now, actually, can you sit down again, please? Sorry, sit down again, please. But Ali, I'll do want you up. You come up. James paints a picture of a radical change of perspective in how we view trials. Some ways you could describe it like repentance, a change of thinking, an understanding that my old way of thinking was wrong, how I view trials, how I battled through with them, what I said to God in the midst of them, And this is an opportunity to have a change of direction. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I believe God's been speaking to you through what I've shared. And I believe that for some of you, the right response for you now, in a minute, is when I ask you to stand up, I want you to stand up. Because God has challenged the way you've been thinking about trials. And you know you need to line up with what it says in James what Paul says in Romans, what Peter says in his letters. So rather than we all stand up and we respond together, I'm asking that if you feel God provoking you, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when we face trials of many kinds. Because I know these trials are testing my faith. And I know that as my faith is tested and I respond well, steadfastness is growing within me. And I know that as steadfastness bears full fruit, I will be mature, looking like Jesus Christ. For some of you, you need to respond just by standing where you are right now and saying, you know what, I've had wrong thinking. This morning I see that, I'm making a bit of a stand. Although there will be others that will see what you're doing, in the end it's between you and God, an audience of one. And I'm just going to pray for you that the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ will flood in, that you'll know his strength, you'll know his peace, you'll know freedom and liberty this morning. Amen? So if you'd like to stand, could I just ask you to stand, please? Why don't you just use your own words just to communicate with your Father in heaven who loves you and is for you just what he wants to say. Just uh, communicate, tell him you love him. Ask forgiveness if you've had wrong thinking. If you can identify particularly where you've had it, why don't you just bring that before him as well? It's between you and him. Father, I thank you for every person that has courageously stood up this morning. Lord, I ask right now that they'd know your nearness and your love invading their hearts. I thank you that you are for them. I thank you, Lord, you don't reward perfection, Lord God. You reward faith. Even broken, timid, failing faith, but you you reward 
as we step out and we trust you. And Lord, I ask, Lord, just that everyone who stood will know your closeness, your blessing, your grace invading their lives right now. I pray, Lord, for a real strength that when they face trials, even this week, it might be something ongoing that they're living with. They're right in the middle of it now. I ask you, Lord God, that they will know your nearness and your closeness. I pray you'll give them wisdom to see things as you see them. I pray, Lord, give them wisdom that they would have your perspective, a a sort of a bird's eye view of what is going on. Even in the midst of the battle, it feels so devastating and difficult. They will know your grace and your empowering and your strengthening in that time. Lord, I pray for strongholds in thinking. In particular areas, I ask you, even this preach will be like a little key just starting to unlock fresh freedom and liberty in those areas. Lord, I thank you we are not the tail, but we are the head. That is who you have made us to be. And even the trials that we face are a means for your glory and our good. And I ask you for fresh freedom and liberty for everyone who has stood right now. We ask for that together as a church. We pray that. We bless each of these people standing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well done for standing. Well done for your courage in doing that and not worrying about other people. Just stepping out. That's awesome. It is amazing. If you feel that you would like to respond and just get a bit more prayer, If you feel there's some particular areas where you know that you're really battling stronghold and you just like to know some people standing alongside you in it, why don't you come to the front and if I can ask ministry team actually to even come out right now, grab your badge at the side. We've also seen a whole load of, well not a whole load, that's an exaggeration. We've seen a few people healed recently. It's just been really brilliant. Um, I just wonder if God wants to heal people with stomach complaints this morning. No more specific specific than that. If you've got a stomach complaint, problem can be a big thing or a little thing. Could be you've got stomach ache this morning. I just think God wants to heal you. Um, If you come that side for healing and that side if you just like a bit more prayer and God to do a bit of business with you. And if you'd like to become a Christian, which is the most important, most wonderful thing you could ever do. Just come find someone in the ministry team and ask them and they will be happy to tell you more about what it is to follow Jesus. Brilliant. You are an amazing church and I just want to say thank you so much for all of the encouragement I received from you. You're you're absolutely incredible. Have an outstanding week. Really enjoy the week. Hang around, have coffee. Probably need to grab your children. If they're in the children's work, we're going to finish it up there. God bless you guys and enjoy midweek church life.